Why don't we stretch our hands towards Heather today and just bless her. Hey. Ah, Holy Spirit. <laughs> do whatever you want to do with Heather. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm a little bit close to the edge this morning. (laughs) Where's Mark? Thank you for sharing that picture, Mark. Because I think it really is putting in in an image what... We'll be all saying today, and we've been leading up to saying all week, which is only a little hammer. <laughs> it's only a small thing that Jesus is offering us to put in our hands. But if we will do something with it, <laughs> there'll be breakthrough, which is great. I'm glad you've come back in the room, Neil, because I asked Chris to put the words of this song up again because I was standing behind you in the worship time today. And when the words of this song came on, I just felt a really strong impulse that the Lord was specifically inviting you to come away with him and that, you know, you've not missed your opportunity. And as we know, he's got plans for you. They're going to be wild, they're going to be great, and they're going to be full of him. And I was thinking of coming and just laying a hand on your shoulder, and I was thinking, oh, I don't know how you feel about that. When um, Mark came up and said, do you think it'd be okay if I prayed for him? (laughs) So I said, well, ask him. So he was praying for you, and I was standing behind Mark, just going, yes. God. So I don't know if it did resonate with you, this song this morning, but, um, you know, I, I just want you to receive this gift of love that I think the Lord's specifically putting before you for a new level of intimacy with him and that you can do it. And it's not too late. Thank you, Lord. So, um, it's been a good week, hasn't it? I don't think I've ever enjoyed one so much. Mainly because I've been a student and not a leader. <laughs> and that's been really, really lovely. So I want to thank everyone who's, who's done all the organising and all the practicalities. And so I haven't given a thought that naughty to any of that stuff and it's been a joy um so brownie said would i do this last morning and what would the title be and i thought it'd be really good for us together to reflect so this is going to be an interactive time on this week it the school is called kingdom life school so i said to brownie okay well I'll make the title kingdom life then And 
let's share a little bit together of our voyage of discovery this week into the kingdom. What have you experienced of the kingdom? And how's that going to impact your life? Okay. Um, Phoebe, would you be a scribe for me? Did she say that's what she hates to do? I just thought you might be able to put into very few words what somebody might say a sentence, you see. So, thank you. If it gets too much, just sit down and someone else will take over, all right? <laughs> you haven't got to say anything. Yeah, and you can use any pen and you can use any board you like. <laughs> Thanks, Phoebe. So, can you put the top? Kingdom. Kingdom. Wonderful. That's so good. So, I want to start with you and invite you to chip in now. You'll have to call out a bit. What have you found out about the kingdom? Or what have you experienced of the kingdom of God this week? Anything. Just start us off. It's a kingdom of affirmation. Very positive. We'd call that the culture of honour, wouldn't we? That'll do. Spelling doesn't matter. All right? So that's okay. Ah, that we're all sons in the kingdom of God. Is a kingdom of joy. It's a happy place to be. What else? Yeah, a place where we're safe to be who we are. Oh, it's a wonderful kingdom. Oh, it's a bit of a dodgy one, this one. Wait. She's done really small writing, hasn't she? I have to move the board really up close to you in a minute. Go big! Big. It's wonderful. Joy, that's it. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Anything else? Yeah, there's a lot of fun in the kingdom of God. That's linked into the joy, isn't it? Yes. Full of wonders. Yeah, it's wonderful after awkward. Who, who put their hand up over there? Someone. Yes, Robin. Yes, yeah. It's a real kingdom. And it's to operate on earth. Tina. We're royalty. Kingdom of priests and kings. To our God, Dan. Yeah, it's full of life. The kingdom is full of life. One last one. Yes, very creative kingdom of God. That's lovely. Life as it's meant to be. be. Uh, Life in all its fullness. Does that ring a bell? Jesus said that, didn't he? I am come that they would have life and life in all its fullness. And he was always on about the kingdom, wasn't he? That's where we find the life. And in a minute, 
VB is going to transfer to the second board, which will do about life, but not quite yet. All right. We're nearly there. So thank you for those contributions. And I would like to embellish around this with some extra thoughts that maybe you could write in black. Because they're Heather's little thoughts. So, you know, let's really get down to defining the kingdom. When you look that up, a kingdom is a place where the king rules. Okay. And where what he wants gets done. And where his culture is lived out. Okay. And... So, where does the kingdom of God operate 100% in all its fullest measure? Where does the kingdom of God fully operate? In heaven, all right? We know in heaven, his rule and reign is entire, isn't it? But when Jesus came, he came to break into all the kingdoms of the world, and he goes, ta-da, I have come to inaugurate the kingdom, to introduce you to the kingdom of God. I mean, there's loads of times in the Gospels, aren't there, where he says, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God has come upon you, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God um, is at hand, the kingdom of God is within you. He was all about demonstrating what's up there that it can happen down here okay sorry about having to put my glasses on and off all the time so what about the state of the earth now today whose rule is the earth under And there's a verse that backs what Margaret says. She says the earth is under the rule of Satan. And in 1 John 5 verse 19, I'm just going to quickly, I hope I did mark all these up this morning. What we're talking with Phil about meeting Jesus in the garden, a bit of my preparation went a little bit. Here we go. Um, da, da, da. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It's one of the things the Bible says. But ah, it's confusing because there are other verses that might lead you to a different conclusion. So whose kingdom is mostly at work here? Yeah? Yes. Uh-huh. Who's the owner of the earth? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 26. Have a quick look at that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 26 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But there's a bit of control going on from the enemy camp, okay? Then there's a third option you could consider. Going right back to the beginning in the garden, 
when God made everything and then he made man, he says in Genesis 1.28, he blessed us and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule. So who's he left in charge of this earth that he owns? Us. We're the stewards. He's the owner. But we've got an enemy who's trying to take control. And man, men and women, we're the stewards. And wherever we give the power away to, the authority away to, that's who will rule in our life and in our patch. So, if I choose to believe the, eyes of, the lies of the enemy, he will take control of an aspect of me and he will rule. He'll dominate, he'll steal, he'll destroy and he'll manifest that on the earth. But if I go, no, I've been called by God to rule and reign here. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to exercise the authority he's commissioned us with from the beginning to steward here. I'm going to say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here in me on earth as it is in heaven. Then it flips exactly the other way. So all over the face of the earth today is a shifting battle. And the decisions of man and woman are determining, determining where his kingdom breaks out and rules and where the enemy maintains control. Okay, I needed just to get that little bit in before I share some more personal stuff. So when Jesus came, he came to say, like, okay, the earth is a mess, it's covered in darkness, but the kingdom can invade here, can work here, can rule here. Look, I'm showing you. And what's more, to his disciples, he then said, I'm now commissioning you to carry the kingdom, to demonstrate it, to take authority, because he's taught us to pray, pray like this, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, let's say it together, let your kingdom come and your will be done. So we are the releasers of the kingdom in our prayers but not just our prayers in our decisions in our actions in our words in our doing okay so to what measure would you say the kingdom has come in you We're owned, like the earth, we're owned by our Father. But he's given us a free will 
who we believe and who we give influence to. So there can be territories in our lives that really are under the kingdom rule. There can be territories in our lives, just like on the earth, where that has been given away to another. What measure do you think the kingdom of God has come in your home? Big measure. But others of us might be going, oh, but yeah, there is that. That's not quite, that's a bit out of kilter still. Okay? So think about what you've been believing that, and agreeing with or giving permission to. That isn't kingdom rule, if you can see the things, that there are some things still out of kilter. What measure do you think this area, our communities, are under the kingdom rule of God. Not terribly high percentage at the moment. There's patches. There's patches of good stuff. Let's be encouraged about that. I, I see more patches growing. But it's not entirely. Now when, when you think about that, when Jesus was on the earth and he's boom, breaking through, demonstrating the kingdom, because he's totally under the king's rule, he's under total authority, everything he touches gets healed, doesn't it? Everything that he speaks out happens. And he demonstrates perfectly the will and the kingdom of God, what it looks like and how lovely it looks. If you're around him and you were sick and you pressed in, you'd be healed. As long as you honoured him. <laughs> Honor was the only, dishonour was the only thing that would hold you back from getting that. Okay? And that's your choices. He gives you freedom <laughs> to have that choice. So, what I'm trying to now draw towards, Jesus was the body of Christ. Now, we are the body of Christ. And our mission is, boom, demonstrate the kingdom. Release the kingdom. Release the kingdom. But we only see it in part at the moment, don't we? Phil and I have a, a shared frustration in where's the fruit of the kingdom? There's little bits, but we're convinced there should be more. All right? So, why is there a limitation on the fruit? And one of the things that I believe over the years the Lord may have, may have been revealing to me and showing me is the greater the company, 
of people, believers, who totally give over their lives to the rule of God, the reign of God. The greater the territory that is occupied, the more easy it is for someone to come in from outside and walk in and get healed like that. Because there's a big presence. We can't do it on our own as individuals. What he's about is creating a company of people who are yielding to the kingdom, giving over every part so he can occupy it all. And so the shift in the area goes from black to grey to the glory of the kingdom, if you see what I'm trying to convey to you. So why are we only seeing some things in part? Because there's still some grey areas in the company of the body of Christ. (laughs) It's not his fault. He is not withholding. I'm convinced he is not withholding. saying it's not my will for the kingdom to be demonstrated. The problem comes in the level of our cooperation and in the small number. But the more there is an increase of every individual believing and receiving the kingdom and walking in all of this, the culture of the kingdom, that's all the red stuff that we've put up here, the more he can occupy, the more he can occupy that territory, the more that looks like the king's domain and the more of his rule will break out. This is my little theory. Think about it a bit, okay? Okay. Um, Last point on here. I asked myself, well, so how can we see an increase of the kingdom of God? I can't control or influence you or your decisions. I can only control me. I can only have authority over me. And he say to myself, come on, Heather. Let's open up for more of the kingdom. Let's pursue more of the kingdom. Let's not settle where I am. And I felt we were given a key early this week when Yelena shared in our group that she heard the Lord say, pray less like a widow and more like a bride. So if you want to take something on to explore, I would take that on to explore because the bride of Christ is going to pray in a very different way than a widow who thinks she's lost everything and is just hanging on to maintain things things till she goes. So save that one for later. That's that's packed dinner for tomorrow. So let's look at the life bit. Could you switch those round for VB? So oh 
yeah, so that one comes forward a bit. Thanks, Phoebe. Let's look at life. Anything you've learned about life this week, everyone? Coming back to you now. Your contributions. It's not about work. I'm so glad you said that. I've got that written down here. Anything else? Everything is redeemable. Whatever's happened in your life before, he's our great redeemer. He can buy it back. There isn't anything that's not redeemed. Don't worry about spelling, Vivi, just slap it up there. Perhaps that's why she's writing small. And then if there's mistakes, we won't see them. (laughs) I found you out. (laughs) Anything else about life? Yeah. What what about living in his presence and the glory? Well, that is, is being able to just be... <laughs> Lost for words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's best if you live in his presence. Is that okay? Life is best if you keep in his presence. Yes, Karen. Yeah, it's really exciting living life in his presence. Yeah, Amanda. He surprises us. He he did us today, yeah. He surprises us in our lives. Pete? Yeah, live life having faith in him and believe. Believe what he says. Believe what he's doing. Anything else about life? Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot about life we don't understand yet and we need him to introduce us to it because he has come that we may have life and have life in its, all its fullness. And the only way we're going to learn about life and find out how to fully live life is in partnership with him, isn't it? One more contribution? Yelena. Yeah, keep moving forward. Yeah. Go on, Brian. (gasps) Whoa. (laughs) He refuses to call us by the name. I'm going to say me. He refuses to call me by the name of my past. In one of those songs we sing, it says, and call her by her true name. That's my favourite line in there. Tina. No striving. That's good. And then if you switch to black again, that'd be great. Few had the thoughts about life then. Though Jesus said that he's come that we should have life and life in all its fullness... Over the years, I've noticed that many of us Christians, we definitely live life below par. Isn't that true? Doesn't look always like life in all its fullness. So why is it? Do we really believe that statement? Or do we do this thing which we call 
being realistic and dumb it down a bit and partner with some of the enemy's lies about life rather than the king's truth about life. Because we are God's advertising to the world. He's showing his kingship, his kingdom, what, what he's like. He's chosen to do it through us. So it's really, really important that we do grab hold of life in all its fullness. Otherwise, his advertising looks a bit naff. So, I've just got a few bullet points and, and there won't be time today to go into these in depth. But things that you could take away to do your own life health check on. Hannah yesterday will have touched on a number of things that can um, help unblock areas where your life hasn't been to the full so you can enjoy it more. But here's some others, and, and mine will be different. Mine are quite practical. The first thing I want to bring up, addressing Christians, you know, whose lives can sometimes look a bit less than full of him, is are we giving time for recreation? Are we honouring the Sabbath. I don't mean that in a legalistic way. I'm not saying don't go shopping on Sundays. What I'm saying is, from the beginning, when God made the world and he made mankind, he himself took one unit in seven to rest and enjoy. When Adam was made, the very first day he ever had was God's day off and they just were together so he has wired us because we are made in his image he has wired mankind to rest then work And many Christians, in reacting against the legalism of keeping Sundays holy, have chucked the baby out with the bathwater and lost touch of the beautiful gift that true Sabbath is. Jesus didn't um, cancel it. He said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not one of the things that we can let go of this side of the cross. So, there's a really simple key, practical key for you. In your week, is there one day in seven where you, you enjoy the gift of Sabbath? It's not about praying all day. It's about playing all day with 
God. Doing things you really enjoy with him. Resting, recreating. That's what recreation is. Recreating yourself. It's a really important thing. Do not let yourself be driven. If you are in an area of work that you believe God has called you to and there are rotations where you have to do, say, 10 days solid and then you get some clumps of time off, then I'm not saying you have to go in there and say, you know, God's told me I, I can't do this. But you need to then have, like, a couple of days playing. Work it out. Be flexible. Or do an evening followed the next day by a morning and an afternoon. If you can't see, you know, a morning, afternoon, evening, one straight day that you could do it. But really, I commend taking this seriously. You might find life starts coming back just because you're lining up with the way he's wired us. And it's our own fault, our own choice that's causing the battery to be going a bit flat. Okay, nothing on that. Um, Sabbath, hope. Everything about his kingdom is full of hope. There is nothing about you that he doesn't have hope for. But there are many Christians who have areas of their lives where they feel hopeless. They have given up hope in that area. That is a territory that the enemy would love to exploit. So do a hope check on your life. Is there any area in my life that I don't have hope for? Because it where that where there's any area we're not glistening with hope it's an area where we're believing something that is less than God's thoughts towards us where we are agreeing with the father of lies instead of the father of lights it's a scary thought and once you start to explore that you might find there's quite a few areas We'll take them one at a time and go to war on those and start getting God's thoughts about that area instead. Ask him, okay, well, you're the God of all hope. What's your hope about that? And I'm going to agree with it. Are we, third point, about life. Are we going to the right source for life? In John 5, Jesus rebukes a bunch of people who were brilliantly educated in scripture. John 5. He, he says to them, um, John 5, 39. John 5, 39. Um, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus. 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There are many Christians who read their Bibles every day diligently and they know there's something good in there. But it's almost become for them their source of life. The Bible has become the source of life. The study of it. Instead of realising this doesn't contain him. It just reveals him. (laughs) And the life isn't in this. The life is in the person of Jesus. He is the life. And honestly, it's a very easy thing in church, churchendom, to start going to the routine of our Bible times for life and getting a little bit in a ritual, in a little bit of a rut. I can't believe I'm even saying this because I'm normally saying to people, read the word. And I'm not saying don't read the word. I'm just saying be careful that you don't put um, your confidence in getting life merely from a study, a head thing, knowing about. It's not the same as knowing him. So do a little check. In your devotional times, are you actually coming to Jesus for the life-giving words? And hopefully this week, we may have equipped you with some ways of engaging in that within your devotional time. Nearly there. Um... About life. Am I using big measures or small measures? Jesus said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Talking about mercy. Talking about giving. These kinds of things. Ask him, am I using small measures anywhere, Lord? In my giving of mercy, giving of myself, giving of my finance. If you want fullness of life, big measures are required. Again, we're setting how much. We're setting the scale of how much of life, how much of the kingdom we can experience by our decisions. Um... Two more things that you could check up on. I've written here, Kylo, keep your love on. There's a fantastic course um, that I can recommend there. The more we can keep our love on through the day, every day, the more we'll enjoy life. (laughs) And to me, what does keeping your love on mean? It means learning to live judgment-free of other people. It's more than that. It is more than that. But that's been a journey that I feel the Holy Spirit has been introducing me to. And the more I can get through a day without making judgments of other people, the more I enjoy that day. 
Judgment is a horrible, nasty, heavy, spoiling thing. And it hurts other people and it mostly hurts us because <laughs> of that awful thing of, you know, they're always, blah, blah, blah. It always the judge, with the judgment we pronounce, we will be judged. So then that's why we feel bad. Because we've just pronounced judgment over ourselves too. Um, last one. I don't know if I can find a scripture to <laughs> back this one up. I just know it works. Attitude check. Decide to enjoy today. Decide to enjoy it. You know, sometimes we have to go to events or something that I don't really wouldn't have chosen but I'm noticing if I say to myself oh Heather just decide to enjoy it decide to be happy and not let anything steal your joy don't just decide it I'm not having my joy stolen whatever anybody does or says and the key to this is what Sam said at the beginning of this little board, it's a big one for somebody who's task-oriented. Are there any other people apart from me who's task-oriented in life? I've got to do this, 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 and this today. Okay. See it as worship instead of work. And a whole new feeling about it starts to come. Okay, I'm going to do this in a worshipful way to please the one who loves me. Okay, right, finishing with some personal examples now. Thank you, Vivi, for breaking through. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to be giving you such an ordeal. I'm so sorry. But you've done it beautifully. Thank you. Because otherwise I'd have been going backwards and forwards and getting all in a knot. And you've served me. Thank you. Um, right. Two examples. I want to, you know, just be really honest with you and open with you about how I see myself changing before my very eyes in these recent days. I don't know if any of you have noticed any changes, but I feel a bit different inside. And it's about kingdom life, living kingdom life, instead of being defined by who I've always been. So... Um, so one of the things that God's been doing probably for the last five years is trying to gently teach me how to live uh, free of anxiety and fear. How to drive out fear from situations in my life. And the area where this can affect me most is areas closest to home with my family. Things concerning my kids, my family. If I uh, see something happening that I, I'm not too sure about, that can cause me to um, 
feel anxious and fearful to do with them. And I've learnt that fear is not my friend. It is not my friend. It's part of the kingdom of darkness. Fear is like a nasty snake that wants to get into your house and hang about threatening to spoil things. And we have to drive the snakes out of our houses. Okay? We have to drive fear out. What drives fear out? Love. Love. So I have to go to the source of love. Say, King of Love, I need some of your love to rub off on me to do with this situation. What's your perspective, King of Love? How do you see that person and that situation? Because I don't trust my perspective. Because my perspective involves a bit of anxiety and a bit of believing the worst of that person. And it's not producing good feelings in me. And so I'm trying to learn, and I do believe that I've made progress in this area, that before responding to a tricky situation... I'm trying to push out the fear first. I'm not going to say anything or do anything or make any decisions till the anxiety level has gone down. And that I feel that I could respond like my father in heaven would respond. So I feel that I've got his perspective. Oh, oh, I could say that instead of this. <laughs> Um, to replace those anxious thoughts with the truth, love, and big word, trust of the kingdom. Because my experience has taught me that if I respond out of fear, or thinking the worst of someone, believing the worst of them, then my words just make things worse. My words, my decisions, my actions will come from the worst of me, not from the best of me. And I'm much happier when I make the choice to trust, to believe, to release, to hope. Plus the outcomes seem to be better. But I just feel better making that choice. The example I've got is so close to home that I can't share it because it affects another person. But I hope you've got the gist of what I'm talking about. Um, The second example I want to, to talk about has happened this week. On Monday, driving into KLS, first thing in the morning with Phil... I was sitting quietly in the car and I had this question before the Lord. I've shared this with quite a few people, this this uh, condition that I have felt in for a, li- a little while. 
20 years doing the same role, same job, leading the lighthouse, can lead you to be a bit stale. So the question I asked the Lord um, in the car coming in is, because I was thinking of that verse in Revelation about return to your first love. Is it possible, actually, to recover first love? And I was thinking about natural relationships, marriages and so on, you know. Seeing my Josie at the moment, who's just got engaged and who's head over heels with her fiancé and just has to be with him every minute. I just want to be together. Is it possible to recover first love? Is, is that not a bit fair, unfair saying return to your first love? I don't know how to. And then during the course of this week, I've been in this process. It began about 12 weeks ago, actually, but I didn't realise it. When I signed up for Mandy's art classes. And what I'm finding is if we need to have fresh life, a return to first love, New passion, fresh passion, return. I need to do something different. I have to do, if I want something different to happen, I've got to do something different. Here she is, she's just walked in. <laughs> so I signed up very um, cautiously to Amanda Waits' first six weeks for beginners art class. And I don't know if you noticed, but I only put some of the money down because I felt quite convinced that I would go to the first week and find everybody else was much better than me. And my worst fear that I can't do it would be proved right and that I would quietly drop out after a week or two. So I just put down a bit to start off with. And it was so embarrassing doing the first one I... I'll show you later my first portrait. The person's got little curly hair and, and almonds for eyes and, and lips like children draw at school because that was the last bit of instruction I had was probably from the girl sitting next to me at school doing it something like that and so I copied that and that's where I stopped. Okay. So for me, doing art was doing something really different. This... This has not been a feature of my life at all. I'm 57 years old. I have never done a painting. But if you want something to di um, different to happen, and you want first love, first new passion to come, you have to do something different. And I did have in my list of dreams before God... I used to say, when I get to heaven, then I'll be able to paint. And when I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing these two things. But I'm finding that he loves me so much, he wants me to do it now. And enjoy it now. So I started doing the drawing things, and it was a bit embarrassing the first week. 
But this is this Sabbath recreation thing. I do it on my day off. And I thought, three hours? That's a big chunk of my day off. But, you know, I loved it. And I'm about the first one there, aren't I? And the last one to leave. And the time flies. And I get complete. I'm going to cry. I get completely absorbed in this process. Silly. It's brought life back to my soul. He restores my soul. I'm going to get it together. <sighs> together, Heather. I'm back. Right. Um. <laughs> so, do the six weeks, and then I have a breakthrough day. It's just copying another drawing, but staining it up. And at the end of it, please don't see this as boasting. I look at that and I think, I did that. I didn't know I could do that. Showing Phil and sending pictures of it to my kids. And I couldn't help myself. And then we get into colour. And um, it's been an amazing journey of discovery. And now for me, you know, a real treat is just being in the process, not necessarily the final product, in the process of using the colour in a creative process. It is recreating me. And I even had a moment where I thought, oh my goodness, I'm getting a bit obsessed with this. (laughs) I felt before the Lord, is this going to be another lover? Being unfaithful to the Lord because I'm thinking about what I could paint or taking pictures. Oh, I could paint that. Oh, I'm going to ask Mandy how I can do that. And all this, you know, whoo, stuff, yeah. (laughs) And um, so I'm finding you can recover first, love. But it was really awkward at first. It was risky at first. And then, then I found a little safe place within that, which is I can paint things that are not alive, like pears. You know, still life. If they're just sitting there, I could paint. That would be that could become my safe zone. I've only ever done one painting of a pear and one painting of a flower, but I felt safer with that. And then. I come and I sign up for her prophetic art thingy and we go out in the tent on Monday. And this is why this is up, not to show off. I want to show you my process. So she says, divide your page in four and I'm going to give you four techniques that you could use through the week and I'd like you to play at the painting over there during the week and maybe use one of the four. Well, we never got to the fourth. We got three done, didn't we? Maybe use one of those as a starter for making something yourself. 
Okay. So that was week one, but not with the turquoise, just, just the dark background is all we got done in that time. And so, okay, that's what I had. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, well, you know, it's supposed to be prophetic. What are you saying to me? How can I use those, any of those things and express something that you're saying to me and process something you're saying to me? And I was sitting here on the Monday and I looked over at her, at her tree painting over there. And for some reason, into my head, please bear with me, I know I'm rambling now, but into my head came the image of when we were at Bethel once and they had this beautiful, huge, big black stage and suspended in the stage, they got upside down trees, real trees suspended upside down. And I saw that in my mind's eye and I thought, why are the trees upside down? And I suddenly thought, oh, so their roots can draw from a different source, from heaven, from the kingdom. And then this idea popped into my head. What if you did the canopy? I thought, I'm going to draw an upside down tree. That's what I'm going to paint this week, an upside down tree. What if the canopy, instead of just being leaves and branches, was like our thinking, our brains? Could the canopy be a brain shape? with the, all my thoughts coming from heaven into my, my brain. I, I'm so sure you think I'm going off on one now. So, so Mandy, Mandy understands me. So I thought I'll, I'll get a picture of a brain and I'll start drawing it on that dark background so I get a feel of the shape of a brain. And, and then I tried it. You know, because she showed us how to do these washes. So I tried doing it like that and making that a bit brain shaped. And then I thought, because what I want it to be is a reversible picture where the white bit at the top represents heaven and me saying, I'm going to get my thoughts, my mindsets, my thinking, my attitudes from heaven, not from earth. And I want them to come down into my brain. And I tried it again this time and then had like little seams of gold coming, which you probably can't see from there, that then made little gold pears in my brain, good fruits, changing my thinking that's going to produce good fruit. A good fruit will only come if I'll change my we are transformed into the kingdom of God by the renewing of our minds. So here's my reversible one, okay, like that. And, um, and then I thought, oh, well, I haven't done anything really with that dark background. And Mandy said, well, you could try doing it, you know, having a kind of, I forgot to put the trunk in. <laughs> I got so carried away, I placed the brain in the wrong part of the picture there. There's no trunk. But anyway, you could see that you could have that either way up right so that's all quite a voyage of discovery for me so this is not up here because of the merit of the art it, uh, I'm sharing I'm processing for three days Lord transform my mind I want to get my thoughts from your thoughts 
I want to draw from there, that will produce good fruit in me. And um, then the scary bit came, because out in that tent on the Monday, um, we, I think we did this on the Monday, the background, we were each given, a can- this is the first canvas I've ever been given. And she got us to put this bluey background on. A wet, wet on wet technique. So I put the bluey background on and it was sitting there looking at me and I'm thinking, I'm, uh, you know, I want to use it because it's the first canvas I've ever been given. What am I going to do on it, Lord? And I was searching for inspiration and here's another thing I said I would not do. Her next bit of the art course is animals. I thought, oh, well, I'm not doing that. I, I'm not interested in doing animals. So God laughed in heaven. And the inspiration that came to me from a photograph over there, so that, you know, I can't claim that I just drew an eagle out of my head. I copied an eagle photograph. But I thought, I'm going to put this turning things upside down into practice because I, I don't know what to do with it that way. But if I turn it that way, it could be a sky and I could put my eagle on it. And this is me going out of my comfort zone, using something precious to me, my very first canvas, to risk painting something I don't really want to do and don't think I can do to paint my eagle. People have been very kind about my eagle. But then what really reduced me to a was that I then heard that Lydia, where's lovely, is she here this morning? Lovely Lydia, maybe she, yeah. Lydia had a dream about, in which God showed her many, they weren't eagles, but they were other birds of prey. Falcons. Many falcons, young falcons in a number of nests and that God was stirring up amongst us um, something with extreme power to see. And I thought, I've just painted something which has got an extreme power to see and You know how God's joined all the dots up made me think, no, he's led me to do that. He's taking me into territory I didn't know I could do. This one was just for the joy of painting. But as I was painting it this week, he said, you're the apple of my eye. (laughs) Um, But this one I painted as a gift and it's for Claire. Because at the beginning of the week, he showed me something to share with Claire. I've got a smooth charcoal coloured pebble on my patio at home that I picked up out of many, many pebbles on the beach at Faldebrennen. Because it had the completely straight white line through the middle of that pebble. It drew my eye and he said to me, integrity. 
from that pebble. And when I went to give Claire a word, I could see that pebble in my mind's eye. And I know you've had another rock word this week as well from Leah, haven't you? But I felt the Lord saying, you know, he really commends this complete integrity that runs through Claire. Uh, and it, that in what he's doing with her, he's going to be among you're going to be amongst a lot of hard <laughs> other pebbles, but he's picked you up and placing you there. Uh, for, and your integrity is what is going to keep you on the right track and really speak to others. So I hope you are allowed to keep it under your bed or <laughs> behind a cupboard, but that's for you. Good. So we've got six minutes till lunch and so I would love you to process something where you are in your seat now. School's been all about kingdom and life and I would like you, before you go to lunch, to answer these two questions. Could you write them down? Could somebody write them on here? You could rub this off and write it on here. Thank you, VB. Because we, we could have a wonderful, wonderful time together and then by Monday returned to how we were. Please, God, no. And if you interact with these two questions, there's a very good chance that you will keep going in whatever it is that God has done to do with the kingdom and to do with life. The first question is this. What is God saying to me? Or what has he said to me this week? And please do not write an essay. Don't even write a paragraph. Please write only one sentence. I'm telling you this seriously because if it's more than a sentence, you'll never retain it. And if you can't retain it, you'll never do it. What is God saying to me? Write it down in one sentence. And I've got good biblical precedent for this. Because when Jesus interacted with people, he rarely gave them a whole page. It was usually... Short and sharp. His voice is very precise. It is not waffle. <laughs> Secondly, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? New i give you permission to write a list there if you need to. Okay? Holy Spirit, brood over our brains now. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Your ways are higher. We want Your thoughts and your ways, Lord. Amen.